Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by Noah Furtado, Cole Bradley, and Chris Cartman. Noah, how are you doing today? Doing good. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. A uh, couple couple days out from uh, from game day. So, Cole, how are you doing today? Ethan, hope all is well with you. And Chris, how are you doing today? Still here. Still here. All right. We're going to give all of our predictions to the season in terms of stats and records for ASU throughout this podcast. We also do have a very in-depth podcast about the roster throughout positions. That's a premium podcast on the site. And you'll also be able to see a former QBs coach and Trey Anderson. We did an interview with him on a podcast that will also be up on the site. You definitely want to take a look at that. A lot of awesome information throughout that podcast. But for now, we're going to get right to it. Without further ado, right to the predictions. First off, we're going to talk about Emory Jones, new quarterback in Tempe, transferred over from Florida. So, Noah, we'll go to you first. How many passing yards will Emory Jones have? I'm not sure that he's going to sway much different from the season he had last year at Florida. Um, I think. Given that this past game will probably take a lot of deep shots, um, granted it's coming off sort of a running game that I think will be centered. Uh, I'm going to guess that Emory Jones goes with, let's say, 2,900 passing yards. Cool. So I actually am going under that, uh, considering how much it seems like ASU is going to run the ball this year, which seems like it's going to be quite a lot. Um, I'm going to say Emory Jones throws for uh, 2,200 passing yards this year chris well jake daniels had uh 2380 last year i don't anticipate emory jones having a significantly different statistical season in terms of yardage so i'm going to say 2350 for emory jones all right i'm going to go 2400 a lot of the similar reasons from cole and Chris, next, touchdowns. How many touchdowns Romy Jones have, Noah? I think given sort of what it's going to look like, a lot of the passing touchdowns may come, you know, in long yardage situations. When they're in the red zone, you know, you might get a few there. Um, I'm thinking probably going to go with, um, let's say, around 18, 18 passing touchdowns. Cole? I'm going to go under that as well. I'm going to go 15. Chris? Uh, last year, Emory Jones had 19. James Daniels had 10. I feel like it'll be somewhere in between that. I'm going to say 14. I said 17. What about interceptions, Noah? Well, Emory was in the double digits last year. Um, I think some of that could be helped in the kind of offense that's going to be run here by uh, Coach Glenn Thomas. But I think we'll see still closer to double digits. I'm going to say eight interceptions. Cole? Yeah, so given how much we've seen Emory sort of struggle through camp with uh, decision-making and then obviously, you know, his track record last year at Florida, he threw 13 picks. I think he's going to throw 11 interceptions this year. Chris? I, I think he's also going to be probably into the low double digits. Uh, Daniels through 10, Jones through 13. Last year, I'm going to say, I'm going to also say 11. I'm going to say 12. What about rushing yards for Emory Jones? Total rushing yards, Noah? Well, I think he's going to want to use that as his, uh, you know, obviously that's one of his strengths uh, being a dual, dual threat quarterback that he is. Um, 
I think that's going to be something that might be featured even more uh, throughout the season, depending on how the offense goes. So I think um, he'll hover around sort of the same kind of yardage he had at Florida last season. I'm going to say 650. Cool. So I, I agree with Noah here. I think that's going to be his MO a little bit more this year with being the dual threat guy that he is. But also given the fact that they're probably going to run the ball a lot with Valaday and Ngata, I don't think he'll have as many rushing yards as he did last season just because he'll probably have a little bit of weight taken off his shoulders in that regard. So I'm going to go 550 for Emory Jones. Chris? Well, yeah, so uh, Daniels had over 700 rushing yards last year, and so did Jones. I, ASU's receivers are probably not better than, than last year, and the team will play from behind and probably also be in some third-down situations where, where there will be a lot of scrambling. So I think it's going to be pretty close. I'm going to say that he has 685 rushing yards. I'm going to go 750 rushing yards. All right, next up we'll go to the running backs. First off, we'll go with Daniel Nagata. How many rushing yards will he have, Noah? So this is going to be something that we – have a better idea of throughout the season, given how sort of Coach Guano will, will go give the ball more to, you know, either Valade or Ngata, depending on how they are um, performing. But I think with Ngata, might take a step up from a season ago. He definitely will, um, just from the yardage he had last season. I think uh, sort of splitting it down the middle, you know, he'll probably end up with anywhere from, I'm going to say 585 rushing yards. Cole? So again, as much as I think this team is going to run the ball, I think it's realistic that both running backs will be able to eclipse over 700 yards this year. I think that's a possibility. Um, so I'm going to say 815 for Daniel Ngata. Chris? Uh, I, I think probably somewhere in between. Um, knowing Cole, I'm going to say that Ngata has 700 yards on the dot rushing. I'm going to go with 750. Um, let's go to yards per carry for Nagata. Noah? I think Nagata, just given his explosiveness, I think he's going to break some big runs this season. Um, could help um, that statistic in that, in, for him at least. Um, I think, you know, judging from what Rashad White had last season, he was 5.5 yards per carry. It's going to be less than that, I think. I think we're going to go with uh, 4.3 yards per Nagata. Cole? So he's in, you know, the small volume of carries he's had so far in his career and God has been pretty efficient. And I think it's been, I think his career mark is slightly over five point. It's like five yards a carry or something like that. I think he'll, he'll be able to maintain that. I'm going to say 5.1 yards per carry. Chris. I think I'll drop off a little bit, um, but still be quite good. Uh, anybody that gets a lot of carries and is over 4.7, 4.8 is doing great in Pac-12. I'm going to say he's going to be around 4.9. I'm going to go around 4.6, like where Chris said. I think he's been good in terms of yards per carry so far in his career, and when the workload's going to go up, he's going to drop a little bit but still be successful. Last thing for Nagata, touchdowns. Noah? I think with touchdowns, you look at what he had last season, he had four rushing touchdowns. Um, as a third string guy, um, that's going to go up, uh, this season, just based off of the elevated row he's going to get, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to say he's going to have eight rushing touchdowns this season. Cool. 
I'm going to say eight as well. Chris? I think that's a good range. I, I'm going to say seven rushing touchdown. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go eight as well. Next up, we'll go to Xavier Valade. Transfers in from Wyoming. How many rushing yards will he have, Noah? I think while Valade was going to share reps with uh, Ngata there, I think he ends up being the feature back uh, in terms of the amount of carries he gets. I think he'll end up with more rushing yards uh, than Ngata. I predicted Ngata was going to have 585 uh, for Valade. I'm going to say that he eclipses uh, 700 near to 800. So I'm going to say 760, 760 rushing yards. Cool. Yeah. So given his production in the past, he's obviously one of he's been one of the most productive running backs in college football during his tenure. Uh, I think he eclipses 700 yards easy. I think he leads this team in rushing yards with 935. Chris? A little bit closer to Cole. I'm going to say 875 rushing yards. I will go with 850 for different reasons with what you guys said. Yards per carry, Noah? For yards per carry, I think uh, it's similar to Angada. Um, for, for yards per carry, I think I'm going to go with 4.6. Cole? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think – He's, I think he can be pretty efficient on the ground for ASU. I'm, I'm going to say 5.2. Chris? Well, he's been over five in every season to this point. Pac-12 is a little bit tougher, but he's been pretty impressive to me. I, I think I'm going to say 5.0. All right. I will go at 4.8. Uh, what about touchdowns for Valade? Noah? I think Valade uh, for touchdowns, he's going to be just above Ngata. Um, I th think that's going to be the case for, um, or at least how I'm predicting it for most of the rushing categories. I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with ten rushing touchdowns for Valade. Cole, I'm going to go slightly over that with twelve. Chris, I'll split the difference. Eleven. I was going to go with eleven too. All right, we'll move on to receiving. Uh, just in terms of time for the podcast, you guys have heard it's been Noah, Cole, and then Chris. I won't be calling out you guys' names anymore. Just go in that order. We'll go to receiving. So first, we're going to talk about top three receivers in terms of who's going to lead the team in receptions. So top three leaders in receptions on the team in terms of receivers. Noah? So no sort of predictions as far as how many catchers just rank them, Correct. Yeah, just one, two, three, and who's going to have the most receptions on ASU for the upcoming season? That so, includes that includes tight ends and running backs, by the way. Yes, yes, correct. Um, that's kind of the direction I was going to go in um, for the three. I think ASU has a lot of deep threat options um, at wide receiver. That uh, in terms of you know receptions, I don't think will be among the top three. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, however, with one of their slot receivers who's been getting a lot of reps uh, throughout the preseason, Giovanni Sanders. Despite not having any catches to this point, I think he's going to uh, get a lot of uh, opportunities this year, um, judging from how he's done so far. So I'm gonna go with Giovanni Sanders, uh, Xavier Valade, and then uh, Messiah Swinson for my top three options. Yeah, this has been the great debate between all of us, I think, uh, in terms of, you know, 
who's going to team leaders and stuff. We've talked a lot about the, re the, the receptions that are on the table. Um, I have the exact same list as Noah for slightly different reasons, probably. But yeah, I, I think it'll be Sanders, Valaday, and Swinson in that order. So this is really almost impossible. Like this is like a complete crapshoot. Uh, I think that there's a really good possibility that somewhere between five and seven players on ASU's team are all within 10 receptions uh, of one another among the, the, the most targeted players on the team. And I, I'm going to go with Geo Sanders, number one, which is crazy because this is a guy who hasn't even like played hardly in his career. Uh, but you saw him out there today. He had two catches and was targeted a third time in the only 11 on 11 that we saw that was the most on the team. I think he's clearly ahead of Cam Johnson. And so that's the reason why I have him number one. I think the other positions, there's a little bit more sort of um, more, it's more even like Brian Thompson coming back into the mix with Andre Johnson, Elijah Badger. I just don't, I, we can't think we can have enough confidence at this point yet to say that he's going to be the leading receiver on the team. Um, but I, I do think that he has a chance to eke into that group. Uh, I think that the, I'm going to say number two is going to be Xavion Valaday. And my number three, I'm very close between Andre Johnson, Elijah Badger, and Messiah Swinson. And I'm actually going to go with Elijah Badger. Number three. Uh, I actually have the same exact list as Chris. Um, I think Sanders is going to have a lot of exceptions just because I think he's going to be someone that Emory Jones is going to be really comfortable with, but he also has the ability to make that big play. So there's a lot of catches and receptions to be had in that, to be kind of multifaceted in that way. And then I, I think it is the year that Badger, I know someone on the board posted a bunch of Badger pictures. I guess it might've been a response to a tweet um, I think it's time. It's time for the Badger takeover. So I'll have Badger at three. And then similar to you guys, I'll have Validate at two. Next up, we're just going to go for the leader only. So for all of us, it's going to be Geo Sanders. Um, but who? how many receptions will Sanders have, Noah? Receptions, I'm going to go I'm really in sort of the, the mid-30s. I mean, their leader last year was Pure Salt. He had 48 catches. Um, I think it's going to be quite a drop off from that. I'm going to say higher end 37, 37 catches. Yeah. So uh, obviously you guys talked a lot about Sanders and just how much he's been targeted and how really himself during a uh, preseason camp as, as, as kind of a top target for Emory Jones so far, especially during team periods. Um, I'm going to go 36 catches for uh, Geo Sanders. Just to put some perspective on this, uh, the 48 catches that Pearsall had was the fewest in a regulation season uh, since 2001, I believe, at ASU. And that was, I think, 47 catches. The modern era 12 games schedule, no ASU team has had a leading receiver that had fewer than 40 catches. Uh, there were a couple years in which tight ends were the leading uh, receivers on the team in that range, Chris Coyle, and I think probably. Zach Miller, um, but I do think that there's a really legitimate chance of no receiver on this team getting to 40 catches this year. As I said, I think it's going to be really, really spread out uh, among five to seven guys. 
Uh, I'm going to say that Geo Sanders does get – I'm going to say he gets 40 catches on the nose. I'm going to go with 41. Um, next up, what about receiving touchdowns? Noah. For Geo Sanders, receiving touchdowns, I think that's going to be – I think he could get more receiving touchdowns than Pierre had last season. Uh, I think he could be a target um, in red zone situations like we've seen in, uh, in camp. That has definitely been a trend um, between, between Jones and Sanders. Um, I'm going to say that Sanders just above the four that Pierre had last season, it's going to be, I'm going to say six, six receiving touchdowns. Yeah, so actually, funny enough, I don't even have Geo Sanders leading this team and and I have Messiah Swinson. I think he'll lead the team with four. He's also kind of proven to be uh, more of a red zone target, a big body who can go up and you know catch those one on one balls in the end zone or even a little bit before it. I think I think he can lead the team in that regard. But for Sanders, I think he can get uh, close to that. Maybe maybe three. I'll say for Sanders. Uh, yeah, I think that we're going. We're not going to see anybody on the team have more than four receiving touchdowns this year. I'm going to say Geo Sanders, Andre Johnson, and um, Swinson all have four receiving touchdowns this year. I feel like I said it earlier, and I have to just keep going with. That. I think it's the it's the Badger takeover, and giving the ball, let him make make some plays in space. I'll go with four receiving touchdowns for him, though. As Chris said, I think it's going to be spread out. Um, so I'll go four, and they're. Probably will be others around there, but I'll just leave it at that. What about receiving yards? Who's going to lead and how many yards is it going to be, Noah? I think that's that's kind of a toss-up. If you're if we're going with your logic with Badger taking a step up, I think he's in the mix there. Um, we've seen him catch a couple of deep balls um, this preseason. Not uh, anything super special, though, in terms of consistency. Uh, kind of makes it hard to predict. I think I'm going to go with um, – it's between, for me, uh, Elijah Badger, Andre Johnson, and Brian Thompson. Um, and I think it's going to be Badger for me. I think he's going to lead in receiving yards. Elijah Badger. Yeah, so uh, I think going back to Gio here, I think Gio lead the team. I got him with 410 yards. I also think Gio Sanders is going to lead the team in receiving yards. I'm going to say that he has 425. I'm going to go Badger, 475. Um, all right, heading over to tight end specifically, how many total receptions will ASU's tight ends combine for over under 45 receptions? Noah? I'm going to say that um, I think Jones is, is, is relatively comfortable with targeting the tight ends. Uh, I think he's gotten uh, – he's built some chemistry with, with Swinson and then Conyers, Conyers um, – probably the better pass catcher of the two, uh, at least right now in terms of, in terms of, you know, what they bring to the table there. I think it's going to be, I still think it's going to be under 45 because of the way the offense is going to function. Um, and the fact that the catches are going to be spread out uh, and not necessarily concentrated to that position group. Yeah. For a lot of similar reasons, I'm going to take the slight under there. I agree. It's very slight under. All right. We're going all the way around with, with unders for that. So under 45 receptions for tight ends is what everyone's saying. What about total yards for tight ends over under 600? I, I, I think that's also under. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to go with under. Definitely under. I think probably well under that number. I would say under as well. All right, now let's go to a little bit of just offense overall. First question, who's going to lead the team in yards from scrimmage? Noah? I think it's going to be one of the running backs um, because I think they are going to, you know, accumulate enough uh, yardage on carries that they get and also be uh, relatively frequent targets out of the backfield. Um, I think you're going to see potentially Jones uh, have a lot of, you know, deep shots, but that those aren't open, uh, go to the checkdowns uh, oftentimes as opposed to uh, sort of intermediate um, targets, uh, intermediate length targets. So I think it's going to be um, Xavier Valade. Uh, I had him ahead of Ngata in terms of the kind of uh, stats he was going to have on the ground. And I think that's also going to be the case uh, with him as a receiver this year. So I'm going to say Xavier Valade. I'm going to take Valade as well. He's, again, you know, kind of proven in the past that he he's that all-purpose back who can who can do a little bit of everything. So I think you can imagine anyone other than him being the all, you know, leading in that. Yeah, thanks for the long answer, Noah, but no receiver is going to have 500 yards, so obviously it's going to be a running back. And Valade is who we all think is going to have more catches and rushing yards, so everybody's going to say Valade. I will say Valaday as well for obvious reasons. Who's going to be the biggest surprise statistically on the offense? Noah. Biggest surprise statistically. Um, Geo Sanders hasn't caught any football. I mean, uh, what I was he thinking of was, was like, are we even including him? Because we're already yes. predicting, we're saying we're expecting him to the be the leader in these categories. That's but, the biggest surprise. Nobody has seen Geo Sanders catch any balls. He's a former walk-on. He might leave the team in receptions. He's the biggest surprise. The reason I hesitate was because we're expecting him to do that. Like we're pre we're predicting that he was. That's why. That's what. Is, well, is, if it's if it's a surprise, if it's a surprise to you, it's not like how would you know what the surprise is to you? No, I'm saying it. What it's not going to be surprising to me if I'm expecting him to have the most receptions on the team. It's a surprise to everybody else, not to you. If it's a surprise to you, how would you know what it's going to be? Okay, sure, sure, yes, fine, Giovanni okay. Sanders then. <laughs> category Cole um yeah outside of Sanders because I agree I think that'll be the biggest surprise but outside of Sanders I think I think it'll be Charles Hall I think he's shown that you know he can be a guy who can be relied upon a little bit in this offense maybe not as much as Gio but um he's been targeted quite a bit during the preseason and he's a guy who can definitely um keep that up over the season I think it has to be Geo Sanders followed by Charles Hall. I, I would say Geo Sanders. And then if people don't think it's time for the Badger takeover, you can consider that a surprise as well. So, by the way, it, by the way, it could potentially be Des Holmes. If we're going to go with somebody that's not a skilled player, Des Holmes is going to miss the NAU game, but he was one of our hot 11 guys and probably one of the most impressive guys relative to expectations on the team in August. So Des Holmes could be that guy and speaking of offensive linemen we're going to now rank asu's top five offensive players including offensive linemen in order so one through five noah give us your list so i think for the top 
two, uh, because I think the ground game is going to be so important to this offense. I'm going to say it's going to be Xavier Valade, Daniel and Gata. Um, beyond that, uh, I think I'm going to have Ladarius Henderson uh, at left guard as the third most important offensive player, followed by Emory Jones at quarterback, uh, and then Geo Sanders, fifth. Similar list for me. I don't have Sanders in there. I have uh, in this order, Valade, Henderson, and Gary Jones, and Messiah Swinson. Uh, so wait, are we, is this most important or is this best? Top five offensive players. So best. To me, best offensive players, number one, Ladarius Henderson, number two, Xavion Valade, number three. Um, I don't know, big gap to whoever it's number three. <laughs> I guess I might say, um, Daniel Ngata, number three, that might freak some people out, but I'm going to say Ngata. Uh, number four, Ben Scott. And number five, Des Holmes. No Emory Jones on your list? No. Emory Jones would be in the, he would be very close after that five, as would be uh, Geo Sanders. All right. Um, I have Ladarius Henderson, Xavier Valade, um, and then I would go Emory Jones, Daniel Nagata, and then I'll put Elijah Badger at five because I think the Badger takeover. I mean, you're 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 all about Elijah Badger. It speaks yeah. for itself. All right, we'll head over to it. the other side of the ball. Defense. Who will be the top three players on the team in total tackles? So who's going to be the top three leaders on the team for tackles now? I'm just gonna. I mean, Kyle Soley led the team in tackles last season. Uh, I think it's between him and Merlin Robertson, potentially to be sort of the leader this season. Uh, so I'm going to go with Kyle Soley, Merlin Robertson. Um, and then beyond that, I'm not sure. Um, I think those are the two most obvious options as far as tacklers go. Um, Connor Soley is going to be the solidified third guy there uh, at the linebacker spot. So We'll just keep it easy. Kyle Soli, Merlin Robertson, and Connor Soli. Um, so I have uh, Kyle Soli, um, Chris Edmonds, and then Merlin Robertson. I like I like where Cole's thinking with this. I'm going to say Kyle Soli, Merlin Robertson, and Chris Edmonds, number three. He's been on the field the most as a safety. They, when they go to nickel, they've been taking Connor Soli off the field. That's kind of why I have Chris Edmonds ahead of Connor Soli, but I think it's close between those two guys. I have the exact same list as Chris, so um, we'll, we'll move on. He took it right off of the top of my mouth. Uh, okay, who will be the top two players on the team in tackles for loss? Noah. Um, for the top two tacklers there, I think I'm going to go with Nessa Jade Silvera. Um, and then scratch that, scratch that, scratch that. Uh, I want to pick a defensive lineman here, uh, but I think – I'm going to go still interior. I'm going to go with Omar Norman Lott. Uh, and then beyond that, I think, uh, I think Merlin Robertson. So Omar Norman Lott, Robertson, top two. I'm going to also go Omar Norman Lott for the, the top leader in that category. And I'm going to go Kyle Soley, second. Uh, I also, Omar Norman Lott, uh, leader in tackles for loss. Number two. Much harder to pick. I'm going to say that it ends up being Trevesmore. 
I, I think you're reading my mind, Chris. Um, I had Omar Norman and Chavez Moore as well. So I, I, I don't like, I wish I could be making this up. You're okay. doing so great at these predictions, Ethan. It's insane how good you are. Oh my God. I literally was sitting there. I was like, he's not going to say Chavez Moore. And then you said Chavez Moore. Okay. Anyways, not just tackle for loss. Who will be the top two players of the team in sacks? Noah. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be Chavez Moore. Um, you know, he, he might not even start, uh, you know, to start season. But I feel like because Rodriguez has already mentioned that his two deep uh, is going to play a lot regardless of who's in that, uh, who's the front four. I think I'm going to go with Trevez Moore. Uh, and then second, uh, I'm going to stay on the outside with, uh, with Joe Moore. Trevez Moore and Joe Moore, they've showed their speed off uh, this preseason. Uh, I think they've continued to really show that to be their strength. Uh, Trevez Moore has especially has gotten uh, enough sacks for me to remember them. Uh, off the top of my head this preseason. So I'm going to go with those two. I'm going with the Moors as well. Uh, Trevez, number one, Joe, number two. Uh, yeah, I am going with the same two. Trevez Moore, Joe Moore. If I had to pick a third, it'd probably be BJ Green. I had BJ Green second. Uh, he led the team in sacks last season. And then first, I also had Trevez Moore. All right. Uh, next up, who will be the top two players on the team in interceptions? For this, I'm going to take one from the cornerback position and then one from the safety position. Uh, I think that Chris Edmonds will lead in interceptions. Um, as has already been mentioned, he's been sort of a staple there at the safety spot all preseason. Uh, Roe Torrance is going to be the second guy that I name here. Um, his length could be a problem for wide receivers, um, you know, even in the Pac-12. Depending on how his role evolves, that could be an issue. If Demarcus Davis comes back, he might, uh, you know, have some playing time cut off potentially uh, in that instance. But I think for right now, uh, I'm going to have Chris Edmonds, Roe Torrance, top two interceptions. So I have Roe Torrance leading this team in interceptions, uh, I think with his size and the athleticism he's sort of displayed, I, th I think that'll, that'll play in his favor uh, pretty well this season. And I think he can definitely use that to his advantage as a ball hawking corner. Um, and then I'm also going to have a linebacker. I'm going to have Kyle Soley um, second on the team. Yeah. I think we've seen maybe a little bit too much press man coverage to expect the corners to end up with a bunch of interceptions. Um, I think Kiwan Markham has really great ball skills. I'm going to say Kiwan Markham followed by a man, it's really close for me between Kyle Soley and Chris Edmonds. I'm going to say Kyle Soley, number two. Well, I had Kiwan Markham as one, but my second one at least is different than Chris's time. I think it's Merlin Robertson. He tied for the lead last season, got skinnier, is going to be flying around the field a little bit more just because of that. So I'll go Merlin Robertson uh, for two. Now, same thing we do on offense, but defense, who are the top, five defensive players on ASU's roster for this season? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of D linemen on here for me. Um, I'm going to go with one through five. I'm going to go with Omar Norman Lott, one. Um, at number two, I'm going to say Kyle Soley. Number three, I'm going to say Trevez Moore. Uh, number four, I think is going to be uh, Nesta Jade. So 
And then number five, Merlin Robertson. So uh, I'll have, I have Trevez Moore number one. I've got Kyle Sully two, Omar three. Um, and then I have Chris Edmonds four in Nesta Jade Silvera five. That's interesting. Uh, I'm going to say number one, Kyle Soli. Number two, uh, Trevez Moore. Number three, Tamarcus Davis. Uh, if healthy, caveat. Uh, number four is uh, Omar Norman Lott. And number five is Merlin Robertson. I have Kyle Soli one. I have Trevez Moore two. Uh, Omar Norman lot three. I think he's been a monster already. And I think he's continuing to learn um, under Robert Rodriguez and they're just creating a monster with Omar Norman lot. So I have him at three Merlin Robertson at four. And then I have Tamarcus Davis at five. The only reason it's five is because like you said, it's gotta be healthy. No, I has to correct the record. Apparently. No, no, I'm just, I just wanted to throw this out there. Why, why were you so surprised? So I think I said, and Chris lost his mind. I thought he was going to disagree with me, but he had him out. No, and when you when you said Omar Norman Lot number one, I was like, wow, that's that's pretty aggressive. But okay, I I think he has a lot of potential to be a great player. So, all right, we've done offense, we've done defense. Let's head over to special teams. Eddie Chaplitsky was just under forty four yards last season per punt. So over under forty four yards per punt this season. Um, I'm going to go with over. I'm going to go with over. I mean, he's still young. I think he could, uh, off of that. Um, definitely. I think actually, so I'm going to go with over. I'm going to take the over as well. I think he's one of the best punters in the PAC 12. Um, and he's probably one of the most underrated punters in the nation. So I think he, he definitely can hit that over. A lot of it will come down to how many drives ASU has that don't go anywhere in its side of the field. And then could you, get the field flipping potential. It'll be close to that. I'm, I'm going to say that he ends up slightly under. I have over for Eddie Javlitsky. I think he's been so good at making and pinning teams within uh, in their own, you know, within their own 10 and five, that it's really all he's need to work on. It's the thing he's going to be working on most. He's gained a lot of muscle over the off season. I think he's going to be able to punt it even further than like Chris said, it's going to be dependent on if he has kind of, flipping field capability in terms of where he's punting from but I think he'll be over 44 yards per punt next who will be the team's primary field goal kicker which is interesting considering Slocum said he's going to use both of the ones on the depth chart right now and what percentage will he be on field goal attempts well I think right now just judging from how sort of the reps have changed over time it initially was equal between Jace Feely Carter Brown um Personally, I've been more impressed with uh, Jace Feely in terms of how proficient he's been um, throughout the preseason. Um, so I'm going to go with Feely. I think he ends up taking over the primary role. Um, and that's, you know, that's a tough decision on my make considering Carter Brown, a ship guy at the position. But I think that he has improved so much and he's ready to take over um, at that spot. Um, even with, with Carter Brown there, I think he has potential as well. But right now, I think Feely's probably more, more polished than, than, the, than the freshman. 
Yeah, I don't really even think it's a debate. I think Feely is the better kicker overall. He's proven that so far through camp. He, you know, especially from distance, you know, he has had plenty of leg from from 40 plus yards out with accuracy. Uh, so I think he'll at some point take that, you know, lone kicker role, maybe not lone, but top spot. He can, he can easily make uh, over 70% of his kicks. Jace Feely is the most improved player on ASU's team from a year ago to now. And uh, I, he definitely made more of his kicks in August. We counted to, you know, kept tabs on every single one of them. So I, it's hard for me to, to say that he's not going to be the guy. I think Jace Feely, I think he actually makes probably like around high 70, 77% of his kicks. I'll go with Jace Feely as well. I'll, I'll say he'll make over 75% of his kicks. I, 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 I think he'll be above. I am not exactly sure how high. I'd probably go high 70s like Chris as well. Um, okay, how many kickoffs will DJ Taylor return for a touchdown this season? Over, under, one and a half. I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I think he can at least break two. Um, you know, he's a preseason first team all-pack 12 there. Um, I think, you know, he, he, he doesn't need to be consistent necessarily to, to really – uh, get the two returning touchdowns. Um, I'm going to go with the over there. I'm going to take the slight over as well. I think he can three. It's tough. He, he was maybe the most disappointing player on ASU team last year, pressed. Um, but two is, seems very achievable. I, I'm going I'm to say he gets two. I'm going to go, I'm going to go over as well. I think he, I think some of what, Slocum's talked about at least uh, to media is that he's gotten smarter with kind of where he's running. And I think he's super explosive. So if you add that to kind of having a little bit more return IQ, I think he'll, he'll make sure that it'll, it'll make him go over uh, and at least get to, as you guys said, that's pretty achievable. Okay. Let's go a little bit more overall in terms of looking at the team as a whole, what are ASU's three strongest position groups now? Okay. First one's easy for me. Uh, it's defensive line. Robert Rodriguez, uh, arguably one of the best position coaches on the team that is reflected in the kind of talent that he's been able to develop over uh, his time here, heading into his third year as position coach. Um, behind him there, I'm going to say that um, the running backs, for me, is the second best position group. Um, I think bringing in Valdez has kind of given them a sort of veteran uh, feel to sort of supplement the kind of uh, potential that Ngata brings to the table. Uh, and third, I'm going to say linebackers, uh, just the kind of experience they show there uh, with Merlin Robertson being a fifth year starter coming uh, into the season. Um, and then Kyle Soley, um, his brother has showed potential. Uh, coach Claiborne, the linebackers coach, um, has mentioned that he's shown the ability to sort of be patient, not necessarily chase the ball and stick to his assignments. We'll see if that's the case uh, throughout the season. But I think that's going to be my third best position group. Similar to Noah, I have D-line as the top one. I don't really think it's close. In fact, I think it's a massive gap from that between the second best group on the team, which is the running back group. They'll be impactful this year. year. They'll have to be if the offense is going to be um, competent, I feel like. And then after that, I have the offensive line. I think it's a deep unit. I think it's a questionable unit, but I do think it, it, it is solid and they have some veteran leadership up front. A uh, lot of good perspective on this one. Um, if the running back group had a 
more solid number three guy. I might say running back, but I say D line running back. Not 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 as big of a gap as maybe Cole thinks, but especially with Michael Matus's injury, right? But and then um, third, I think is very close between linebackers and offensive line. I'm gonna end up I'm gonna end up going with the linebackers. I think it's a little bit more solidified. Uh, I as well went D line running backs and then linebackers for similar reasons that Chris just talked about and Noah as well. Next, what are ASU's three weakest position groups? No. Um, for me, I, I think the weakest is going to have to be, um, you know, initially we thought we were, they were going to have just, uh, six scholarship receivers. They added a couple, uh, through the portal, junior college guys and, and Zeke Freeman and, and Charles Hall, they've, they've shown to be decent. Um, but when you bring in a guy like Cam Johnson, who's your only D1 transfer, and he can't even break into the first team spot at the slot position, and you're, and you're especially beat out by a former walk-on in Giovanni Sanders, I think that reflects at least uh, something as far as the, the overall value of what that group brings to the table. Behind them at two, uh, I'm going to put the uh, – uh, I think I'm going to put the secondary at two. I think they have potential there. Um, but just given how, you know, they have to replace, you know, an extremely veteran group from a season ago, uh, relative to the expectations that that group had going into last season, it's, it's a, I think it's a huge drop off this heading into this season. So I'm going to put the secondary at two. Um, and then at three, I mean, hmm. I think at three, I'm going to go with, quarterback uh third weakest position group there i'm gonna go with the quarterback yes uh same same list as noah for me uh you know um wide receivers i mean this is a very thin group and it's very hard to fathom how they're going to um be anywhere close to as impactful as last year for asu um given the depth that they just don't have um, after that, I have the DBs as well. There's just too many question marks, I feel like, with that unit overall. Um, we'll see how that goes for them. And then I also have the quarterbacks. I think besides Emory Jones, it's been shaky at best from Trenton Borgay and Paul Tyson. And if the situation does, those guys need to step up, it's it, it, it could be dicey for ASU. Uh, I agree with these guys. I, I think it's pretty close, actually, between wide receivers and defensive backs. Partly that is maybe Tamarcus Davis and, and Jordan Clark being out for the last three weeks or whatever uh, with their knees if they get back and you know maybe that secondary gets a little bit more solidified. Um, and number three would be quarterbacks slightly lower than the tight ends probably is, is what we would say. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's exactly what you guys said. Wide receivers um, are gonna be the weakest just because we have I mean it's no real real returners and Giovanni Sanders we talk on as a walk-on and we're expecting him to have most yards and lead the team in receptions and all the that type of stuff. And as you guys said, quarterbacks uh should be down there as well. And then I think defensive backs are not quite as bad as wide receivers just because there are some returners uh that kind of are solidified there uh that'll help them out in that regard. All right. Let's now go to ASU in terms of its rank against the Pac 12. First off, where will ASU rank in the Pac-12 in total yards? I think that they'll total be... Offense. Total offense, right? Like oh, total offense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Total yards. Um, 
I think that because they could potentially be playing from behind oftentimes, um, that might help them from not being towards like the bottom, bottom of the Pac-12. So I say it's going to be middling probably, uh, I'm going to say eighth in total yards. Uh, similar to Noah for, for those same reasons, I'm going to actually have ASU ninth uh, in the conference in total yards. Yeah, ASU actually didn't do that bad in this category last year. Um, I think it was like right in the middle of the pack, like around sixth or seventh. Um, uh, it might be it might be a slight dip this year, but I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say ASU ends up seventh in the Pac-12 in total offense. I was sitting here thinking if I should do six or seven before you said anything, I said seventh. So of course you went and said seventh as well. So we'll go next scoring offense. So where were they ranked in the Pac-12 in scoring offense, Noah? Yeah, I think it's is going to be lower um, scoring offense. You know, I'm not expecting their passing game to be, um, as great and because they're going to really rely on their ground game that doesn't necessarily bode well for uh, really high scoring affairs. Um, so I think they're going to be, I'm going to say 10th, 10th in the Pac-12. I'm sticking with ninth uh, in, in that category as well. Well, I think they're going to be ahead of Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, probably Washington, maybe Cal. So I'm going to say eighth. I, I was going to say eighth as well. I, of course like, you were. I, I, I don't know what the heck. Like, I, I literally am like, I'm deciding between multiple numbers and then I say one <laughs> in like five seconds. You know, Ethan, number. I'm living in your head rent-free. Literally, I honestly think you are. I wouldn't be surprised if you are living in my head rent-free right now. We'll move on, though, to passing yards. Noah. Okay, sorry. Um, I think for passing yards, it's also going to be bottom half uh, at the very least. Um, yeah, I mean, for Emory Jones, I have my prediction at 2,900, which was perhaps overzealous even, uh, but I think it's going to end up being 10th. I'm going to stay 10th, 10th and back to yeah, I'm. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine how it improves any off of last year. Uh, I'm also going to go 10th can't imagine it really being a lot better than eighth or ninth i'm gonna say 10th i also think it can't be much better than eighth or ninth so i'm gonna go ninth um next rushing yards noah rushing yards i think we can be a little bit more optimistic about what they can do there uh you know, across the conference as a whole, I think they're going to end up, I'm going to say top half, but like, I'm going to say fifth, fifth in the Pac-12 in rushing yards. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if there's any strong suit, we've talked about it a lot. I think if there's any strong suit with this offense, it's, it's the running game. Um, and for that reason, I'm actually going to have them finish fourth. Uh, yeah, probably behind uh, Utah, UCLA, Oregon, and maybe Oregon State. Um, I'm going to say fifth. I'm going to say fifth as well. What about total defense, Noah? 
total defense. Um, I'm going to say that's going to also going to be in the top half. Um, well, I'm going to mm, I'm going to say six, six in total defense. Six as well. Uh, I, I, I think, I, I don't really think there's there. I think there's a bit of, I think there's quite a bit of drop off with this defense. Um, but that's also just because of the lack of depth at a lot of positions and what they lost. But I do think they'll, they'll hover around the mid middle uh, portion of the pack. Yeah. I think this is really going to come down to the secondary once again. Um, I think I'm, I got to think they'll be a little bit better than, than you guys are saying. I, I think maybe, I think I'm going to say maybe fifth total defense. I'm going to go sixth uh, for the same reasons you guys were talking about. Um, I, I think it's going to be based on that secondary, and I think it'll fall into into sixth. What about rushing defense, Noah? Okay, I think um, this one's going to be quite a bit, quite a bit better. Um, just judging from how we've had, I, I think. It gets a little bit worse as you go up. I think it's best, the defensive line is the best group on the defense. Linebacker is the next best group in the secondary. Um, so I think I'm going to go with rushing defense. I'm going to say third. Yeah, sort of similar to, to, to the reasons that Noah gave. Uh, I'm pretty bullish on this unit as well. Uh, I think third is a pretty, is a pretty good uh, prediction for, for that. So, so I think ASU was second in this category last year, if I'm not mistaken. But the difference is that ASU will probably play from behind more in games this year, which means opponents will run the ball more against ASU this year. And so that probably means ASU moves down a couple pegs, even though maybe its overall capability won't be much different. So I'm going to say uh, fourth. I was going to say fourth as well um i think the i mean this is obviously as we talked about a strong point on the team but as chris said it's going to be they're going to be looking at probably a lot more at least rushing plays against them than they have in the past um but i, I mean it is possible if the secondary doesn't really hold up that other teams go to passing more just because it's more successful but uh, i still think it'll it'll end up right around fourth um Last up, passing defense. Where will they rank in the Pac-12 for passing defense? You know, we've we've already had some explanations as far as like you know how this defense you know will turn out and how it's going to be dependent on how the secondary really uh, bodes this season. So I'm going to say bottom half um, and go with I'm going to go with ninth, ninth in the Pac-12. Um, I don't think I'm as pessimistic as Noah, but I mean, this, this is going to be, I mean, this is, this is going to be a real indication as to how well the D play and, and how well they can keep, um, ASU overall in games. Uh, and I, I just don't think that they have the ability uh, to do that at the level that they've done it, um, over the past few seasons, nowhere close. Um, but I do think that they can finish seventh in this category. The uh pass rush might even be a little better than last year, which helps in this in this area. Um so I don't they'll definitely not definitely, but I am pretty reasonably confident they're gonna drop off from last year. But um I don't think it'll be that bad. I think 
somewhere in this. I'm going to say, let's say seventh. I am going to say sixth for passing defense. Next, we're going to look at what are the three things that will ultimately determine ASU's success or lack thereof this season and why. So three different things that you think are most important for their success or lack thereof. No. Don't say obvious things like turnover margin because, you know, obviously turnover margin determines football. I think we've covered a couple of them already um, in terms of, you know, what's going to really influence their success and, and what we can reasonably expect them to be good at uh, this season. I think the ground game is going to be one of them. Um, the running backs, there's promise there. I think the only question mark uh, that really sort of has us um, not all in in that respect is the offensive line. I think the offensive line still has to, sort of be solidified. There's a couple of position battles that are still going on there at right guard between Chris Martinez, Joey Ramos, and then at left tackle between Emmett Bowley and Asai Glass. So that'll be one. I think the second one's going to be secondary, you know, for reasons that we've already laid out. Um, and the third one, I think will be the tight ends, just, um, you know, in terms of how they perform uh, and handle sort of the, all of the tasks that they're being handed in terms of, you know, handling all of the uh, ground game concepts, the blocking, Coach Glenn Thomas has talked about how much is on their plates. Go with that for the third. Yeah, so I think in terms of just greatest indications this year, I think it really starts with their discipline. Uh, will they be improved um, from what they where they were at last year? Uh, obviously, penalties were very, very costly for them. It hindered them massively down the stretch in particular or just throughout the year. Um, from the get-go, I mean, they committed 13 penalties in their first game against Southern Utah to set the tone for the rest of the year. So that's going to be the biggest indicator. Can they improve off of that? I think, secondly, the passing game, uh, I, I think if that, that really improved this year, it, they're going to have to rely a lot on their run game, a lot more than they probably want to. Um, and it really comes down to can the running backs carry that load? Can they, can they provide and sort of, you know, put the offense on their shoulders and, and lead the, and lead this team um, to where they need to success. And because if they can't do that, then it's hard to imagine how the offense at, at any juncture will be successful this year. And, and I think third, uh, I agree. I think it comes down to the secondary. How well can they, can they keep the ball in front of them? How well can they, um, you know, they rotate Aaron Fletcher has talked a lot about that. Um, and how much can each guy contribute and be um, be able to sort of build off of, if anything, build off of what they did last year, which will be very, very hard to do. Uh, I'm going to agree with Cole. Number one is discipline slash penalties. They led the power five in most penalty yards last year. They lost multiple games as a result of that. Um, and there's probably less margin for error this year. Number two is not giving up big plays. ASU was the last team in the country last year to have not given up a 40-yard pass uh, when, when they finally uh, did that. Did so. If they can do that again this year and with the success uh, or capability of what we think their run game is, they're going to be in a lot of games, right? Like, seems pretty obvious. Uh, and then number three is, of course, uh, their, their anemic passing game has to improve. Uh, it, it, a decent amount like they're like given the fact that their defense is not going to be probably quite as good in the secondary and 
they have a little bit more challenges with some of their offensive personnel, they have to squeeze more out of their passing game uh, for them to be able to have a winning season this year. Uh, I agreed with Noah and Cole on the secondary. Uh, I think it's going to be a big part just because how strong the defensive line and linebackers are. If the secondary can step up, I think uh, that defense is going to be pretty strong and can help the offense maybe if they lack at times. Uh, secondly, I think the offensive line and being able to gel, there's a lot of new guys on that offensive line. And I think uh, in general, that's going to impact how successful someone like Emory Jones and even the running game can be. If Emory Jones doesn't have a lot of time, he might have to improvise a little bit more. And, and maybe if there's, if they can open up holes for that rushing game, that's already going to be strong. I think them trying to gel together as a unit is going to be a big part of how successful the team can be. And then third, I, we've talked about it all preseason camp. It's been talked about by players. It's been talked about coaches, but there's tons of newcomers, 40 plus newcomers on the team. I think figuring out something that, you know, these guys can buy into and making sure that there's kind of a culture around the team. They've talked about these leadership groups and having the captains that have been leading a little bit more. If they can buy in with each other and, and make sure that everyone comes in at once. I mean, this is the challenge of college football and, and even college athletics at, at this time with all of these transfers is making sure all of these new players can all buy into one system. So figuring out a system that works for the for the personnel that they have and the players that they have is going to be important uh, for the team moving forward in terms of being successful. All right, next up, who are the players that are not getting talked about much right now and will also have a big impact on the season and why? Well, um... I think one is Ed Woods. Uh, and the reason I say that is because of, you know, how much emphasis we're putting on the secondary uh, and how important it is that they, that they get some guys to step up. Um, they, he, there wasn't the meat, there was tons of media there, but really the option was Daniel and or Ed Woods. Uh, they swarmed around and um, me and maybe one or two other reporters were talking to Ed Woods, who has now been slated as the corner starting corner opposite of Bro Torrance. So I think he's one of them. I think the uh, the other the I I'm gonna say for two and three it's going to be um, Connor Soley. Um, I just think because he's behind those two other guys um, that have so much experience at, at the linebacker position in terms of Robertson and his brother, um, he's not necessarily being talked about much. Um, and then for for number three, um, I think we're gonna go, I'm gonna go with Brian Thompson. Um, just based off of sort of what his activity has been like uh, this preseason uh, for certain reasons. Um, and, you know, he's still one of the veteran guys of that position group. Um, so he'll probably really, you know, cause some, stir up some uh, conversations depending on how he can, you know, create big plays for this offense. Um, if the run game can sort of allow those things to be opened up. So similar to Noah, I do. Ed Woods has has to be one of those guys uh, for me. Uh, he's he definitely, I think, he's shown a lot of growth. Uh, it, it seems like, and I think a lot of people will probably be surprised uh, to see that he's going to be starting um, on Thursday night. And it's it's a testament to his development and how far I think he's he, he's come. So I, I definitely think he's one of those guys. Uh, we mentioned him a little bit earlier. Charles Hall is another one I think that is a very underrated. Um, skill player on this team and who, who can definitely make an impact, even though he's coming from the D2 level. Um, he has explosive ability. He's shown it in practice um, a little bit, and I think that'll continue. 
And then I also have Connor Soley on that list as well, similar to Ed Woods, you know, the development um, for different reasons, but the development has, has, has been, uh, has greatly improved for him. And he's definitely, obviously here in the starting, the third starting spot. So um, I think those are my three guys. I'm going to say number one, Isaiah Glass. Maybe that sounds crazy, but if you have a left tackle who is uh, not good, then that causes massive problems. We've seen that at ASU. Darius Henderson was a 17-year-old true freshman starting two years ago. That caused a lot of challenges for ASU. It wasn't his fault. It was the recruiting and development of players that caused that. Um, I, you know, in the secondary, I, I think we have to pick somebody. I'm going to say Ro Torrance. Um, sure, he's getting, you know, like people know about him and whatever, but he hasn't, he never started at Auburn. He hasn't like proven anything. Uh, when Tamarcus Davis comes back, I think that Ro Torrance is the guy who's most likely to be in the starting lineup with him. And so I think that we kind of got to say him. And then I'm going to say Chris Edmonds because he's from Samford, right? Nobody is like talking about Chris Edmonds and, there's been a sort of a surprise is that from the spring till now, he's been really super consistently with the first team. And, um, you know, I think the, he's going to be in an extremely important role uh, on this, on this team. Charles Hall might be like a fourth guy. If I had to say fourth guy or, or you know, another offensive lineman. Uh, yeah. I think one guy that isn't getting talked about enough, he left the team in sacks last year, BJ green. Um, I think he can have a big impact. He already had a big impact last season, and I think he just has another spring ball and another preseason camp under Robert Rodriguez. So I think you'll continue to see him grow. And one-on-ones, he's been pretty dominant uh, when we've been able to see those during practice. And it's been times where he's just completely overpowered the offensive lineman that he's going up against. Secondly, I want to say Jordan Clark in the secondary because of what I talked about earlier about kind of finding that, that those leadership roles and making sure players are buying in. I when we've talked to players, multiple, many of them, I should say, have said that they go to Jordan Clark to figure out kind of what they need to do just because he is very vocal. And I think that's something that'll be important for that secondary to be successful. I think Jordan Clark brings that. And third, I don't know. I would go, I mean, there's a lot of people I could go for. I was leaning towards Charles Hall, but just to be in the kind of effort of being different, I think I'm going to go for Jalen Conyers just because there's a lot of talk about his athleticism, but I don't think there's been as much talk about kind of his output and what he'll be able to bring for the team. Um, and maybe that's because what we've been seeing in practice, but I think if they can utilize his athleticism, he could be someone that will have a big impact on the season, whether it be red zone targets or just kind of throwing the ball's way and making them or letting him make a play. All right, next up, make one bold prediction about a player or something else on the team. Noah. Can I get a break on this one? Can someone else go first? I think this one's a little bit tougher. Uh, I'm going to have to think a little bit more on this. Cole, you want to go first? Sure. I think Trevez Moore will not only be the team in sacks, I think he'll have over 10 sacks. I think that that is very attainable for him. And given what he's shown, he consistently gets into the backfield with authority, with speed. Um, and I think that's very attainable for him. stays healthy coming off of this knee injury. Um, so I, I think double digit sacks for Trevez Moore, um, is, is my prediction. I was, I was going to go kind of in a similar vein. I was going to say that ASU ends up leading the pac 12 in sacks this year. No, are you ready? 
Sure. Um, I think that um, there's potential on the outside um, in terms of sort of the amount of production that they can bring um, just because of how many options there are. Um, I think Jones, I just think he'll be sort of able to generate more big plays than I think we're letting on right now, just based off of what we've seen, um, potentially getting more game reps under uh, the offensive coordinator, a new one in, in coach Glenn Thomas, he's still sort of learning the offense in that way. Um, I think they'll find ways to really play to his strengths more and more throughout the season. And that could potentially lead to him connecting with some of those receivers that have speed as head coach Herm Edwards has talked about time and time again this preseason. So um, not necessarily putting a number to it, but just in that respect, just sort of the feel, I think you'll see Emory Jones get better as it goes along. I'm glad you said that, Noah, because you had Emory Jones as an outlier in terms of the passing yard, so that correlates. I talked about um, DJ Taylor in terms of him kick returning, and I, we all said around two. And I, I, if we're going to make a bold prediction, I think he could get four or five just because of how smart he's been. Um, very bold. Very, very bold. Uh, I wasn't sure where else to go because everyone else kind of took a bunch of other ones. So I had spoke pretty highly of DJ Taylor in terms of his smartness and being able to return. I think he's explosive. And I think once he figures it out in terms of kind of how to return and make sure he's using his explosiveness to the like best visibility in those kick returns, he could break off for a couple and, all it takes is, you know, a couple games here and there for him to kind of reach your mark like four. So I'll go four. It's bold, but we're making bold predictions. So uh, that's what I'll go with. Next, everyone's probably been waiting for this one throughout the podcast, making our predictions for the record for ASU this season. Uh, you'll be giving the one that you think will happen and then two others. Most of the time it's ceiling and floor, but if you want to go for something for whatever reason, you can, but no, we'll go to you first. Sure, I think that's a good way to go about it. Um, ceiling floor, I think their uh, I think their floor is going to end up being I'm going to say four and eight is going to be their floor. I think their ceiling um, from that is going to be six and six. What's your prediction? What what is the record going to be? Ceiling floor, and then your actual prediction. Your actual prediction. Sure. Oh, okay. Um, ceiling floor four and seven, six and six, and then uh, or four and eight, six and six, and an actual prediction right in between that five and seven. Okay. Uh, similar to Noah, I got the floor at four and eight. I got the ceiling at six and six. I think this is a five and seven football team. Uh, I, so that's my record prediction. Well, I think they have a, a better ceiling than six and six. I mean, I think they, you know, I think. They could win seven games. I don't think they're going to win seven games. I, I, I'm going to say that their record. I'm going to say that they're going to finish six and six, actually. Um, but I think that there's there's potential for there's more likelihood of their record skewing downward because of the difficulty on the front end of their schedule. Uh, if they lose to Oklahoma State, U, Utah, USC out of the gate, right? that makes it a lot more possible that they end up at like four and eight or something like that. Right. So I, but I'm going to say six and six is what I predict. Five and seven is next most likely four and eight is the next most likely. Um, 
I would predict six and six too. I was looking at the schedule. I feel like they're they're gonna go in to the territorial cup on November 25th, needing a win to be bowl eligible. And I think they'll be able to pull that off. Um, and that'll get them that bowl eligibility at six and six. I think, like Chris said, while I'm not sure I 100 percent think they'll do it, I do think their ceiling is probably right around seven and five. Um, and then I I'll say their floor, I think their floor is four and eight. I think it's possible. I think along what Chris was saying, I think it's more likely it skews downward, which is why I'd go a little bit further on kind of the floor in terms of four and eight with the ceiling seven and five. But my prediction itself will be six and six. The only things that would be extremely surprising would be if they won eight or more games or if they won three or fewer games. I think that's, yeah. I'd say that's, that's probably accurate. That's basically what... We all went about and sang. All right. So let's go directly now towards this week. NAU. We don't need right now prediction of, of score. We'll do that later and pick the pack. But just give us a prediction in terms of what you might see, what we might see in that game beyond the score of the game. So what do you kind of think we might see based off of the team and anything that they might perform? I think they're going to try to establish the run. I don't think they're going to want to open up the passing game too much. Um, I think you're going to really keep that closed off given how uh, their competition will be the next week after that against Oklahoma State. I uh, might want to come at them with some surprises perhaps. Um, uh, so I think that's one thing off on the offensive end you're going to see. Um, I think potentially off of that, you know, up front uh, with offensive line, you're going to see some rotations at the positions that I mentioned were sort of being battled for between uh, last Emmett Bowley at left tackle and then Joey Ramos and uh, Chris Martinez at right guard. Um, Coach Kavanaugh has already said that that's a possibility. So I think on the offensive end, you know, I won't go into the defense because I'm already being told off here by uh, Chris and Cole uh, that I'm talking too long. So with that, we're just waving. We're, we're saying hello. You're doing great, sure. Noah. Sure. You're doing great. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll give I'll you a thumbs up. I'll stick to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we're, so, you know, ASU fans are going to get first impressions of Glenn Thomas, you know, calling debut with, with ASU. We've heard a lot about, you know, the new offensive scheme and, you know, how it's been implemented and how a lot of players have expressed their comfort with it. We're, we're going to finally see how comfortable they truly are with it, uh, you know, at least setting the tone. Um, in this first game. So I think that'll be something to watch out for. I don't think they get too creative with the play calls just yet. Uh, like Noah said, I think it'll be a lot of establishing the run game. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of shorter passes, maybe, maybe they break off a shot play here and there. I don't, I don't see them really emptying the bag right away. Um, but that's maybe something to watch out for, see how that goes. Um, and then on the defensive side, I'm thinking, you know, this will, this will be the game where the defensive line, they, they set the tone for the defense. Um, I, I think this is a game that they can definitely dominate, um, especially against an FCS team. Um, so I see that also being um, something to look out for as well. So I think um, they will be conservative on offense, but conservative doesn't mean that they won't throw some shot plays because it's it, it, if you can make opponents respect your vertical capability in the opener, then that factors into their preparation as well. Uh, I just don't think that we're going to see a lot of bootleg play action, crazy 
stuff like that. Um, and uh, I think defensively they'll play just a ton of man coverage and they won't want to show too much zone coverage or mixing of different things because uh, they won't want to give a picture to Oklahoma State of what they're going to be with Donnie Henderson in charge. Yeah, I mean, kind of along those lines, talking about being conservative, I think there's so many moving parts. I think you see teams struggle at the beginning of seasons anyways, sometimes in the first game where they're just trying to trying to figure everything out. And with all the new newcomers, new coordinators, all that stuff, all the shifting around, I think we may see them struggle at least towards the beginning of the game, if not for the full game, just to kind of figure out everything under the lights for the first time with all these guys. So I think they might struggle uh, throughout this game, but I think there might, you know, we'll figure out towards the end how much they've kind of figured each other out during preseason camp. All right. Next up, we're going to go to pick the pack. For those who don't know, we're going to go through, we have odds for every single game in the conference, uh, in the Pac-12 conference, and we're going to go through each game. We're going to pick both who we think is going to win and if the spread is going to be covered or not. So each week we'll update you on the records for this, both just straight up and then also against the spread. Right now it's 0-0 zero, zero. Uh, for everyone. No one has guessed anything, but this is the first week. It'll happen throughout the season. We'll continue to give you updates for who is, who is or what that leaderboard looks like for both straight up and for the spread. First one this week is TCU at Colorado. TCU is currently minus 13 and a half favorites. Noah, we'll go to you first. First, give me straight up. And then second, tell me if TCU is going to cover that spread. I'm going to say TCU wins, uh, but they don't cover the spread. I agree. I think, uh, I think TCU wins and they don't cover. So this line has moved from an opening of like minus 6.5 TCU. And that is basically because the public thinks that Colorado is going to be just God awful this year. And I also think Colorado is going to be God awful this year, especially on offense. And so I'm going to go with TCU to win and cover. I'm going to go TCU to win, but no cover. Uh, next up, Bowling Green at UCLA. UCLA current minus 23 and a half favorites. Noah? I'm going to say UCLA wins the game, uh, and they also do cover that spread. I th Ooh, excuse me. I think UCLA can definitely win that game. Obviously, uh, that's a that's not a really tough opponent for first game of the year, but this is uh, I, I don't think they quite cover uh, that spread. This was another line that moved quite a bit already uh, from uh, opening of, I think, minus 31. Um, Bowling Green has the ability to play some teams tough and they'll be pretty well prepared for UCLA as well as any team will be all year uh, schematically for what Chip Kelly likes to do. So I'm going to have a UCLA win, no cover. I also have UCLA win, no cover. So next up is Arizona at San Diego State. Currently SDSU are minus six and a half favorites. No. I'm going to say Arizona wins that game. So. Cool. Uh, so I'll have SDSU winning that game. Uh, I think they, I think they had a really good year last year, and they can, they can certainly build off of that. Um, so I'm going to say SDSU win and cover. Yeah, this line also has moved a lot. It opened at like minus 13 and a half or something for SDSU. It moved very aggressively toward Arizona. I do think that um, 
San Diego State's going to win. Um, it's personnel, is what I would say. And um, <laughs> I think Arizona is going to cover the six and a half. I think it's going to be a close game. Um, it's personnel. It's getting better. Arizona personnel is getting better. Still not not all the way there yet, though. I'll go with I'll go with it then, Chris. I'll go with the, it's personnel getting better, but not quite there. I'll go SDU, SDSU win, but no cover with you. I've been with you all podcast anyways. Might as well keep it up. All right, Oregon at Georgia. Georgia, our current minus 16 and a half favorites. Noah. I'm going to say Georgia wins. I'm going to say Georgia wins, but doesn't cover. Um, expect that to be a closer game than more than two touchdowns. So. I say Georgia win and cover. Where where's that game at? Okay, so I it's at Georgia. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Georgia blows the doors off for Oregon. I'm gonna say Georgia wins by like 24 points or something like that and cover. So uh I will say Georgia wins and covers as well for my friends that go to Georgia, and I think they're gonna win and cover anyways. Um, so Georgia winning. Oregon's uh, Oregon has no way of replicating or being prepared for that sort of athleticism it's just, it's at, at that at that size. It's just different. I, I, it's just different. I mean, a lot of players go to the draft, but I still think it's going to be different. Georgia winning cover. UC Davis at Cal. Cal are current minus twenty one and a half favorites. Noah, I'm gonna say Cal wins that game, uh, but does not cover the twenty one points spread. Uh, I put me down for a Cal win and cover. I'm going to say Cal win, no cover. Uh, UC Davis has done well against Cal historically in, in a lot of years. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Cal win, no cover as well. Also, I should clarify. I said it was at Georgia. I don't think this is going to change anyone's, uh, opinion on that game. It's at Mercedes Benz stadium. So it's not, at Georgia's, but it's still kind of a home game, if that makes sense. I, I, I think it maybe matters three points or something like that. All right. So does anyone want to change their thing now that I've said that? No? Okay, cool. No. Rice at USC, USC minus 33 favorites. Wow. Um, yeah, USC's winning that game. Um, 33. I think – they're going to be still sort of trying to feel out how they can work uh, on both ends. I, I just, I don't see them winning by over 33 points, just under probably. So I'm going to say no cover. Uh, the official beginning of the Lincoln Riley era, I think called a bold prediction. I think it gets off to a, to a good start for those guys. I'm going to say USC win and cover. I think USC is going to score more than 50 points. I think the question really comes down to, will it give up more than three touchdowns, right? I, and I don't know the answer to that, but I, 33 is a lot, but I, I'm actually going to go with USC to win and cover, barely. 33 is a lot. I'm going to go with USC to win. And when it's that much, and we're talking about them scoring 50 plus points, I think at some point it's not going to be the starters on the field and that might allow them to give up enough touchdowns that they aren't going to cover. So I'm going to go USC win, no cover. Next up, Utah at Florida. Utah are currently minus two and a half favorites. Um, yeah, that game is going to be tough. 
um, right out of the gate. I think I'm always Utah winning and covering. Yeah, that's quite the game for both teams to start the year, uh, especially in Gainesville in that environment, for sure. I'm going to say Utah wins, um, and they do cover, barely. I like Utah to win and cover. Uh, that line started out Florida minus one or two, and it's moved. Um, and I think it's moving in the, in the right direction, but not enough yet. Uh, I, I'm actually going to go Florida to win outright. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I have much of a reason. I think it's going to be a close game. I just kind of have a gut feeling towards Florida. Colgate at Stanford. Stanford minus 41 favorites right now. Absurd line. Is that all? 41? Hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. Um. Yeah, Stanford wins. Uh, that's a ridiculous. That's a ridiculous line. Um, I'm going to say they don't cover. Yeah, I mean, that's as comical of a line, in my opinion, as as you'll ever see. Um, but then again, they are playing Colgate. Um, I sense, but does not cover. Uh, I just, I'm not picking anybody to cover 41 points. I mean, I, they played Sister Mary of the Poor. I'm going to pick Sister Mary of the Poor to cover 41. I, I, yeah, no, I'm not doing it. And by the way, I don't even think Stanford's offense is that good. It's, it's like, I mean, to cover 41 points, you got to be absolutely beaten down on a team. Your offense has got to be clear. I mean, it's like even if they're playing bad defense, you got to click on virtually every drive at that point. Like to cover 41 points, I agree. Stanford win, but no cover. Uh, last one, or sorry, not last one. Next one Idaho at Washington State. Washington State minus 28 favorites. Sorry, I missed, I missed the first part of that and cut out a little bit. Idaho at what? Washington State. Washington State minus 28 favorites. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Washington State wins. Uh, I don't think they covered the 28 points. Um, I mean, they got a new quarterback. I think they're going to try and feel out some things uh, in that regard. Um, so four touchdowns is a little bit too much. Uh, so I say they win and don't cover. Yeah, Washington State win, no cover for me as well. And Idaho State is frequently garbage. I'm gonna say, I'm, I think I'm going to say Washington State covers that. Uh, I'm going to go win, but no cover for Washington State. Next up, Boise State at Oregon State. Oregon State minus two and a half favorites. Ooh, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Oregon State win and cover. I'm going to go Oregon State win as well and cover. I also say Oregon State win and cover. Let's let's go all the way around. I'll go Oregon State win and cover. Next up, Kent State at Washington. Washington are minus 23 favorites. Um, Washington win, um, no cover. Washington win, no cover. I'm going to say Washington wins and covers. Uh, Washington win, no cover. 23 is a lot. I'm going to go Washington win and no cover as well. All right, last up, NAU at Arizona State. Not only do you have to give straight up and spread, you also must give a score prediction on top of that. So we're looking for straight up, spread, and score prediction. What is this? What is the line? 
Oh, yeah. NAU at Arizona State, ASU minus 25 and a half favorites. 25 okay. and a half. 25 and a half. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Arizona State wins. Uh, I'm going to say the final score is going to be 28 to 10. No cover. Uh, ASU win. Um, I think they cover. Uh, final score, 38 to 3. I'm going to say ASU, I'm going to say it's right right next to the line, but they fall just short of a cover with a score of 38 to 13. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ASU win. I'm going to go 31. I'm going to go no cover, and it's going to be 31 10. ASU with no cover 3110. All righty. Well, that is it. Tons chock full of predictions, chock full of reasons why, and everything along those lines. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed listening. Um, but that'll be it for this episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Make sure to stay tuned to all of our content, including uh continuous coverage of ASU leading up to their game against NAU and everything afterwards with post-game coverage and analysis after ASU's first game of the season against NAU on Thursday. Thank you guys for listening. For Noah Furtado, Cole Bradley, and Chris Cartman, I've been Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.